and welcome to Watch the Game Podcast. Uh, I am your host, Cam Lewis, doing a solo episode today with my friend Ian Fleming, the uh, Twitter ex- the Twitter goalie expert self-proclaimed. Ian, how's it going? It's going well. How are you? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. So today we've got a special episode in which, if you've noticed over the past week and a half or so, the NHL members Twitter account has been doing kind of a poll to, to figure out who Twitter believes are the top 10 goalies in the league. And it's been kind of a strange process. But today, Ian and I are going to walk through that list, and he's going to present his own goalies. But before we jump into that, I just want to give Ian a chance to talk about himself and his background and his save charts that you'll see all over Twitter. Sure, yeah. The save chart um, was sort of born out of a bit of a, a, a space in the market uh, that didn't exist before. Um, there was something very good out there for skaters that uh, Dominic Gallimini made with Hero Charts. Uh, and I noticed just kind of jumping into the world of analytics that there wasn't anything like that for goalies. And um, so I, I set forth to provide something that could easily break down uh, what they do uh, into easily digestible uh, form so that we can all sort of get a snapshot uh, and compare our favorite goaltenders. Um, you can break it down into you know, adjusted goal save above average, which is something that Nick Mercadante uh, carved up for us. Uh, we can look at things like high danger save percentage, medium danger save percentage, and low danger save percentage, uh, and and really quickly look towards um, these statistics and be able to compare uh, at, at a very broad level what goaltenders have done. Uh, I made it originally a one-year chart for last season, and then over the summer – uh, broke it down into a three-year chart so we could draw from a greater sample, added in a couple new things like a, a danger tier breakdown to see percentage-wise what goalies are seeing. Um, and we can also look to their salaries as well so that we can uh, get a better look at value for performance. Cool. So just give us a second and we'll be right back using the save chart to determine who the best 10 goalies in the NHL are right now. We're going to jump into the list right away, which uh, was with um, with number 10, which was uh, quite quite the diff- difficult poll at this point. Everything had kind of gone to hell. I mean, uh, from about the – after the top five, my mentions started just getting flooded with, you know, every random goalie for every team that anybody cheers for. But ultimately, the number 10 rank was won by Devin Dubnik, who earned 32% of the votes over Cam Talbot, Steve Mason, and the illustrious someone else. And you, as your number 10, chose Peter Morazic. Uh, what what went into that choice? Yeah, uh, Dubnik's a fine choice in number 10. Uh, he's been very, very good to start the year. Uh, but I rolled with Morazic here at number 10, and I think if not for a, a smallish sample size over the last couple of years compared to a lot of his peers, I might have gone even higher with him. Um, right now, looking between Dubnik and Morazic, over the last three seasons, Morazic sports a better goal save above average, a better adjusted save percentage, uh, a better high danger save percentage, better low danger save percentage, and also a better AAA percentage, which is above average appearance percentage, uh, which is something that Nick Mercadante also rolled out. 
um, which is basically just the percentage of games that a goaltender plays in which his adjusted goal save above average for 60 is above zero. Um, so Mrazek has uh, a lot uh, in his portfolio here uh, for reason to be able to consider to be considered in the top 10. And um, I feel pretty comfortable with that. He's a very, very good goaltender. Six years younger than Dubnik. He's 24 years old. He's still coming into his prime, and he's already very, very good. Plus another thing in that situation, uh, a couple of names that are similar. I mean, you said about the small sample size with Morazic, but also, I mean, similar vein, Matt Murray, Martin Jones, small sample size, but also they play on, you know, significantly better teams. And the fact that um, Peter Morazic has put up the numbers that he did playing on, to be blunt, a terrible team like the Detroit Red Wings definitely helps his case. Yeah, I mean, Detroit is sort of in this middle ground right now where they continue on the playoff streak, but they're not very good. Um, And he doesn't have a great defense in front of him, and he's still been uh, tremendous uh, behind that team. And and you can even bear out sort of how um, the defense in front of him hasn't been as good as even Dubnik's seen. Um, You can see, and we mentioned on the save chart, how I have a sort of danger tier breakdown. Mrazic sees over 22% of his shots from high danger areas versus Dubnik's 19, and 34% in medium danger versus 31% for Dubnik. So he's getting a ton of work uh, from from more dangerous positions than a guy like Dubnik seeing, and he's sporting better numbers to boot. So there is a lot of justification to include a guy like Mrazic and to include a guy uh, like like Jones and Murray, who also have small sample sizes. They play on great teams, uh, but they've done very, very well behind those teams as well. It's just fitting them into a top 10 at this point is, is tough um, because of that small sample size. There's so much room for a guy like Murray to regress um, and, and fall behind some of the guys who he's ahead of right now when you look at a lot of these statistics. That said, he might carry right on. Uh, he, 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 could, he could continue right down this pace and, and be fantastic for the entirety of his career. Hey, Henrik Lundqvist has done that. Um, so it could happen. But right now, I don't personally feel super comfortable in, including him in a top 10 list when I just don't have a whole lot to go off of. So moving on to number nine... This was kind of a weird one for Twitter because I um, I had um, Sergei Bobrovsky ultimately winning number eight in a tight race over Talbot Dubnik. And then after I did number nine and Roberto Luongo won heavily, I did a repoll between uh, Bobrovsky and Luongo. So I have Bobrovsky at number nine and you have Bobrovsky at number nine as well. So. I guess I uh, that's a that's a pretty that's a pretty easy one. There isn't much drama here, so I guess what are your thoughts on Bobrovsky? I mean, he's been pretty much all over the grid throughout his entire career. He um he got traded um, from the Flyers to the Blue Jackets, and then had that phenomenal, ridiculous Vesna winning season during the shortened lockout year, where he was just unreal. And then ever since then, he's been kind of you know injured, not that great. The Blue Jackets have underachieved. So in uh, this year, it looks like he's been great again. Yeah, uh, I th- and I think a lot of it does go into that whole, it, are the injuries causing this sort of category? Um, he was, like he's mentioned, great 
when he first got to Columbus. Last year was not great. He was not good at all. Um, but it may be highly attributable to injuries, and he may be finally coming out of that and, and getting back uh, to a point of, of good health and moving forward. Uh, hopefully he can stay healthy because, man, he's been on fire so far this year. He, he is one of the top goaltenders in the league in a lot of stats, <clears throat> and not just at five-on-five. Five. I mean, I don't like to s- cite penalty kill uh, statistics very much. It's been so highly driven by systems. Um, but he has stood on his head at 45. Um, he's been unreal, and he's helped to keep Columbus in a lot of games that they probably shouldn't be in. I mean, they're playing well. They're putting up points. Um, but if you actually look at, at some of the expected goals models for and against, um, expect a regression from that team. But he may be able to limit it if he keeps playing the way he's been playing. He's been great. Uh, I've got no problems putting him in the top ten as well. I think nine's a good spot for him. Yeah, if the Blue Jackets do make the playoffs this year, I think it'll be largely <laughs> one of the reasons could possibly be shooting at like the ten percent rate that they're shooting at right now, and the other reason would definitely have to be Bobrovsky willing them there. So moving on to number eight, like I said, Twitter uh, chose Roberto Luongo over Bobrovsky in that. Um, I mean, Luongo was great last year with Florida. He was a pretty key reason, I think, as to why that team made the playoffs. And, you know, he's been great for a long time. But you chose a very controversial name in Jonathan Quick, who I think is a very, very strange combination of under and overrated. Yeah, it is is a weird middle ground for Jonathan Quick. I know that it might ruffle some feathers to put him at at eight here. I can say this for Jonathan Quick, and I think a lot of people can. His athleticism is, is basically unrivaled. He is unreal when he's locked in. His ability to, to track a puck uh, and, and use that athleticism to his advantage is, is, is probably unrivaled in the league. Um, but there is always that knock of his consistency level. And does he give up bad goals because he's over-relying uh, on that athleticism? And I think both of those things are true. Um, he is both fantastic and gives up really bad garbage goals, too. Um, Quick is one of those guys that I think over the summer I tried to figure out why some of the stats don't reflect uh, what common perception of, of goaltenders are. And so I went to the video to try to figure out, you know, why is it that, that this goaltender – and, and for example, a guy like Quick or a guy like Ben Bishop, why is it that their stats don't fully bear out um, the public perception of, of, of their play? And the thing with those two guys, both of them, is that they tend to give up goals because they get out of position. Um, and, and so there is that negative perception of Quick that does exist, and it comes from, it comes from a, a, a point of truth. Um, so... Here's the crazy thing, though, about Jonathan Quick and, and, and his statistics is that despite having one of the lower above-average appearance percentages for a, a goalie um, in his range of goal save above average, his, the range of goal save above average is, is very, very good. He's a, a top 10 guy um, easily uh, in terms of his performance. Um, it's just that his, his volatility is also high. Um, and so... 
he could be a top three guy in his best moments, but he could also be a bottom of the league guy when he is over relying on his athleticism and giving up bad goals that way. Um, but I think in the aggregate, I think he can really still fall in that top 10 spot. I think that there is that problem of it's that dichotomy of, of how he plays. And that's why there is both um, overrating him and, and both underrating him at the same time. Plus, I think a thing with Jonathan Quick that I think um, gets into people's heads and kind of dictates the way that he's viewed is definitely the Los Angeles Kings, who are just... The Kings are a bizarre team. I mean, they always have the best possession numbers in the league they have for the past five years, and I think they play that you know defensive system that results in them having a pretty low shooting percentage. They don't score all that many goals, but they, they, they're not, their underlying numbers make them appear dominant, and... You, you. There's been so many goalies who have come out of that system. I guess so many is probably an exaggeration, but Jonathan Bernier, Ben Scrivens, who they put up sick numbers when they were there, but then you know went to Edmonton and Toronto and were junk. So I guess the worry with Quick is that you know this is just him being a product of the environment. Do you think that's really a valid thing, or or is that just you know garbage? Sure, I, of course there's. I mean, of course there's there's always con- concern with that, especially when. Um, <clears throat> The sample size, the sample of your peers that go elsewhere and, and underperform expectations, um, tends to to drive a, a perception that he might do the same if he went elsewhere. Um, when you look to some of the more concrete data behind LA, though, the chances that they give up are still quality chances. They may not be as frequent as. Uh, as other teams because they're driving possession a little bit more. But when you take a sample size of three years instead of, you know, a month or two or half a season or even one season, <clears throat> these things sort of even out a little bit. Um, there's, there's still, you know, a thousand shot difference between this goaltender and, and another goaltender over three years. But it, the percentages start to even out a little bit. They start to settle into to what they're going to be based on, especially and especially for the guys that only play for one team over that time. And the, the types of shots that Quick sees, they're not easy. They're, they're a little bit above league average in terms of the danger that he sees. And he handles it well. Um, again, his high danger save percentage, probably a product of his athleticism, is still very high. Um, you know, he I've got him at eight. Luongo was Twitter's choice. Luongo sees 19%. HD, uh, Quick sees 22. Um, they see a, a similar number of, of, of medium danger shots of the, of the shots on goal that they get, and Quick outperforms. So they may drive possession. He may not see as many shots uh, as, as someone from a team that gives up, obviously gives up more shots. Um, but the shots that they get, they're not easy, and he handles them. So I, I think that there's something to be said for that. So while we're on this topic, um, number eight. You uh, briefly mentioned Roberto Luongo, who Twitter chose as number nine and then number eight. Why did you opt to leave him off of your top ten list? He's definitely in that very, very close uh, range that I mentioned at, at number ten. Um, a guy that, that I really struggled with um, how to evaluate evaluate what he's done over the last several years, uh, what he did last year, and what he's doing right now. He's 37 years old, um, so he's clearly on the downswing. He sure should be on the downswing, but he's still been fantastic. But this year, it hasn't gone so well so far. 
Um, and so trying to balance what I expect him to be right now versus, you know, what a guy like Bobrovsky is right now at 28 years old or Mrazek is at 24 or, uh, even Dubnik at 30, uh, it's, if I'm ranking right now, the reason he's off the list is because I expect him to continue to slide a little bit. And if he does, he is probably not a top 10 guy anymore. Still very, very good. Still a guy that can eat up a lot of minutes for Florida. And, and, and they can be, they, and they're great. They're set at goaltending, at least for the, the, the next short while here between him and Reimer. Um, but all things considered, I expect him to slide a little bit. And that's going to drop him slightly out of the top 10. So moving on to number seven, both Twitter and you had Tuka Rask as the seventh best goalie. Twitter had him winning in a pretty significant landslide. He came pretty close to winning poll number six. He actually came pretty close to winning poll number five as well. And then ultimately, you know, pounded Cam Talbot and Devin Dubnik in poll number seven with 55% of the votes. What are your thoughts on Tuka Rask? Tuka's great. Tuka's great, and he's been great for a long time. He had a very rough year last year, um, <clears throat> which is, I think, below what his standard actually is. I mean, it's going to work itself into the into the numbers, whether you're looking at one year or three years, and it's going to help sort of to take away from what he's done in other seasons that way. Um, but he's off to a great start again this year already. Um, and, and to see him get back into form, I think it's easy to see why, uh, Twitter sort of unanimously there at that seven spot really just go right for him. Um, because he is, he's solid and you can see it in the numbers. You can see it in his play. You can trust him back there. Um, and, and <clears throat> I think, you know, he's 29 years old. He is, still sort of at that late end of the prime of his career and, and he's showing it. So yeah, I, I think he's a great choice there. Yeah. I think I, I didn't actually realize until I looked right now, how good of a season he's actually having. His numbers are off the charts. And I, I had also completely forgotten that in 2013, 14, he had as good of a year as he did. I think those past two years where the Bruins as a team underachieved and missed the playoffs and, the franchise, you know, just isn't looking quite as great as what we got used to in the mid to late 2000s. Kind of, I guess, soiled his name a little bit, rightly or wrongly. But I mean, yeah, Tukarask is still like definitely a phenomenal goalie. Oh yeah, yeah, he definitely is. Um, it's he's high. He's, he's a high quality goaltender, right in that sort of, I would say, third tier of, of, of goaltenders. There are, and we'll, we'll get to the rest of the list here, but there's probably two guys that sit atop easily in terms of, of a first tier goaltender. Then you have maybe two to three guys that are second tier, very, very high quality goaltenders. And then I think he slots into that third level and, and, and he is the type of goaltender that I think that you can, you can go to for an extended amount of games as well. Um, despite, some injury problems of his own. Um, he's coming back and he's coming back strong. And I think Boston will, will ride him this year and I think it'll pay off well for him. So moving on to number six, I think this one was a pretty controversial one. I myself totally disagreed with <laughs> the results in this one. Like I mentioned a minute ago, Tuka Rask came pretty close to um, winning the poll for number six 
in which he was just edged out by Ben Bishop, which is, uh, I think, if, if we're talking about someone, I mentioned it briefly with Quick, but if there's an example of someone that, uh, I've, you've, I've heard you talk about this too, if there's someone that's tremendously overrated in the goalie world, it's probably Ben Bishop. Yeah. Um, for those folks who follow me on Twitter, you've probably seen me go on some smallish rants about Bishop before. Um, he is not, by any stretch of the imagination, a bad goaltender. He is an above-average goaltender, but he's a shot blocker. He is <laughs> a guy who uses the fact that he's six foot seven and uses it well. Um, I think that's what makes him an above-average goaltender. But at the same time, <clears throat> what gets him into trouble is overaggressiveness, uh, bad positioning at times, and he is also uh, 29 years old, going on 30. And a guy of that size uh, is—he's going to put it. It's going to be tough on his body. And I think the slide might come a little bit earlier than expected for him. He's in a contract year. He's off to a brutal start in net, and. Still, I don't doubt for a second that someone is going to give him a lot of money in this offseason to start at the goaltender position, and I don't think it's going to pay off well for that's him. Going to be, that's going to be a big mistake. I mean, I, I'm pretty confident that Tampa Bay with Andre Vasilevsky is going to be pretty happy to either trade him at the deadline if he gets his shit together or just let him walk, judging by their contract situation. Um, actually, speaking of Vasilevsky, would you say that Ben Bishop right now is even the number one goalie in Tampa Bay? No. <laughs> no, not really. Uh, Vasilevsky's great. Um, and, and in the appearances he's made so far this year, <clears throat> got, he's, he's, he's made high re- highlight reel saves already. His athleticism is fantastic. Um, and <clears throat> if Tampa's going to, I, and I think the plan is to really scale back Bishop's start this year, I think that's been pretty public. <clears throat> But moving forward, I think they really need to try to bleed in Vasilevsky as much as possible, get him as acclimated to being the number one as they can, because I don't think Bishop's going to be there beyond this season. <clears throat> they don't have the money to continue to, to pay Bishop at this rate. <clears throat> Excuse me. And and I don't think that it's, it's really going to pay off anyway for whoever does end up signing him at this point. It, there's something to be said for a guy who is six foot seven, but whose high danger save percentage is barely above above league average. And and I think it is one of those things where he like Quick, who relies on his athleticism, Bishop relies on his size so much that he is not as uh, positionally sound as a lot of goaltenders that are s- smaller than him. There's a reason why a guy like Yaroslav Halak, who is, I think, nine inches shorter than Ben Bishop is, <laughs> has a better high-danger save percentage than he does. It's because Halak's probably had to work incredibly hard to be a guy who's 5'10", um, to develop the positional and and form skills necessary to thrive at, at this level, whereas Bishop's been able to sort of just be in front of the net and it pays off to be six foot seven. And again, I'm not trying to overly knock Ben Bishop. He is an above average goaltender in this league, but he's a big body. He's starting to age a little bit. And if someone decides they want to give him $7 million a year, it's not going to pay off well for them. So, and then your choice for number six was someone that Twitter had quite a bit higher, and that's Braden Holtby. So, why do you have Holtby, yeah. last year's Vesna winner, so low on your list? 
Well, six isn't incredibly low when you think about an entire league's worth of goaltenders. Um, but it is compared to what I think a lot of common perception of him is. <clears throat> Holpe is a guy who is a very, very good goaltender. He just gets rated very highly based on stats that he really doesn't have a lot of control over. <clears throat> Goals against average. And we talked about this earlier. Wins. He's playing behind a powerhouse team for years and years and years. Um, years and years. And he's, he's 27 years old. He's, he's been in that for a few years in Washington. And <clears throat> he is, he does what is asked of him. He is above average in goal save above average. He is above average in high danger save percentage. He is uh, uh, solid in his range for above average appearance percentage. He is a very good goaltender who plays behind a very, very good team. And it has, it, it inflates what he does, especially if you're looking at, at the wrong statistics. And, and so I look at a guy like Colby, and he could easily be number four. I'm not going to take that away from him, but I do think that there are more than three goalies in this league that are that could do what he does. Um, <clears throat> and so I slide him down to six, and I think it's a solid spot. Uh, he, I want to take a look at one of these stats here. Over the last three years, for goaltenders that have faced at least 1,800 shots on goal, he is... 10th. He's 10th in uh, adjusted goal save above average. So he is still a top 10 goaltender. He plays behind a good team. He does what is needed of him, but I don't think he's a top three, top four guy. Okay, so uh, I guess to we'll take a break in the middle to recap. Twitter had through 10 and 6, number 10, Devin Dubnik, number 9, Sergei Brovsky. Number eight, Roberto Luongo. Number seven, Tuka Rask. Number six, Ben Bishop. Whereas Ian had Peter Morazic, number 10, Bobrovsky, number eight, quick, Bobrovsky, number nine, sorry, quick, number eight, Rask, seven, and six, Holpe. There wasn't a significant amount of difference between you and Twitter's list in the first half. The main thing was you didn't think Dubnik or um, Luongo or Ben Bishop were good enough for the top 10, but you ultimately agreed on Bobrovsky and Rask, and then you had. On this list that Twitter didn't, Morazic and Quick, and then Holpe is slightly lower. So once we, uh, we'll take a step away for a second, and you wanted to talk about expected goals and how that stat can lead us to better examining goaltending. Yeah, so I think that there is, it's topical right now to talk about uh, XG, uh, expected goals versus uh, sort of a binned data set of scoring chances uh, because of a, a recent article on NHLnumbers.com written by uh, a, a, a Twitter friend that goes by the, the handle Loser Points. He made some very strong uh, points about using continuous data versus bin data. I think a lot of the forward-thinking statisticians in the community really, um, you know, we, we don't rate bin data very highly. Um, it's really not a good way to go. Um, but when it comes to goaltending, it has provided more context than just using unadjusted numbers. So, and this is the reason why um, something like adjusted goal save above average came about. There was a need for it when um, the data uh, the data sets were coming from a place like War on Ice, which was fantastic. Um, it's still unfortunate that it went dark, but 
congrats to everyone on that team that ended up getting hired. Um, but that was pure location-based shots. Um, and, and so you can get more context by binning that data and creating high danger, medium danger, and low danger based on shot location. And you can even dig further into that by creating a, a, a statistic like adjusted goal save above average, which pulls um, save percentages based on each set of those danger zones. Uh, what happens, though, when you move to an expected goals model, which is what we now have um, on Corsica, which is run by uh, Emmanuel Perry. It's fantastic if you don't frequent it often you're really missing out um, but Manny over the summer created his own HDMD LD uh, danger tiers but this is based on on XG data we're now binning continuous data into in, into smaller sets and I think that that now might be a little bit unnecessary um, adjusted goal save of average can still work this way. It is still binned into HDMD and LD. You can still find a league average save percentage in each one of those tiers, and you can still try to determine um, who's overperforming or, and, and underperforming league average that way and, and create a, a statistics like adjusted goal save above average. But it's kind of unnecessary now if we're going to be using XG data. Um, so we can create Instead of adjusted goal save average, we can look to the expected goals in, in, that a goalie is going to see in a game or, or a set of games or a season, um, and then look to how many how many goals were actually scored against. So we can take the expected goals, we can take his actual goals, and then we can divvy it up into the t- you know a time on ice per sixty rate, and and come to something that's probably a little bit closer than by binning. So, again, I've started moving that direction a little bit because I think it makes more sense um, when we're binning off of expected goals data to just actually just use the expected goals data. Um, and And I think that, again, Alan, who goes under the moniker, uh, the handle loser points did a very good job of bringing up from the shooter side of things that it should be looked more, uh, we should be looking more at XG rather than uh, like a hard number, like scoring chances. Right. And that's, that's something that's come up, I guess this year now, and it's kind of created a bit more of an argument against what uh Corsi is, which I, I feel like we're kind of moving away from now a little bit as a stats community. We're, we're kind of uh, moving away from, the sentiment of the shot attempt being a proxy for possession and we're moving towards new stats in that realm. But I, I guess a question that I have for you since I'm, you know, I'm not like, a, I wouldn't call myself like really, I, I, I use advanced stats, I guess, but I'm not, you know, a stats mind by any stretch of the imagination. What, if, if there's one statistic for me to use when analyzing a goalie, I mean, it, it's never going to be that easy. Obviously you should look at a variety of different factors, but if I'm going to look at one thing, what should it be for determining whether someone's actually good or not? Yeah, I've, so I've had no qualms at all about using Nick Mercadante's adjusted goal save of average. I think that it has been the absolute best way to go. Um, it's Of course, you should always look at more than one statistic. There is no catch-all stat that is, that is going to tell you everything you need to know. Um, Goaltending is such a nuanced position that uh, one stat's never going to tell you everything. And... and the entire sport it's crazy uh, you know uh, 
or something like a war metric or a goals above replacement metric. Um, there are people doing really fantastic work with that. Um, and, and I think that there is a lot of value in it, but obviously you're going to lose some of the nuance of that. Um, but over the last several years, I think it would be best if you're going to pick one to go with adjusted goal stable, but at above average. But as I was just speaking to XG, if we're going to use XG instead of just location based shots, we're actually going to take into account shot type, uh, you know, angle, whether it was on the rush, whether it's a rebound, um, then we don't need to bin that way anymore. And I think we are going to get a closer approximation of actual, um, evaluation if we're just using the expected goals versus the shots that are actually being stopped. And so I'm moving away from adjusted goal save of average a little bit towards just expected goals save above average. Um, and, and I'm still tossing it around in my mind. Um, but I think that, I think that if we're going to keep using XG, that's, that's where we need to go with it. Are you sure that the number one statistic to use isn't just wins? Because ultimately, that's what matters most, right? I mean, you can have the highest goal saved above average, but if you don't win the fucking game, it no, I'm just, I, I can't even say that. That's just gross. Uh, yeah, of course. Of course. At the end of the day, it's about wins, right? Just win. What about, um, what about if a player wins um, a game during the playoffs? Does that count as like a win and a half or two wins? <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, you need 16 wins in the playoffs to, to win the Stanley Cup. And, well, you're going to need at least, what, up to three times that to make it into the playoffs. So let's, yeah, let's call it three times the value in the playoffs of getting a win. Jesus. Uh, okay, yeah, so let's, uh, let's, <laughs> let's move back before we uh, start making fun of wins too much. Let's move back and talk about some names that were left off that Twitter got pretty upset about. The, the first, the the, uh, the number one on this, who uh, people just went ballistic on me for, was Cam Talbot. Uh, he, <laughs> the second poll uh, that I did after concluding that Carey Price was number one, which I, it's pretty obvious, was um, uh, people said, I don't like your choices, like blah, blah, blah. Cam Talbot should be on this list. Like, you didn't conclude him on your list. Uh, he ended up losing four or five polls on Twitter. What are your thoughts on Cam Talbot? Like, where where does he rank? Is he good? Is he bad? What's up with that? Yeah. All right. So if you're if you're gonna make a suggestion, give me some evidence. Tell us why. Don't just say he's my goalie. That is a lot to ask for uh, Twitter to do. <laughs> I did many times ask, please tell me if you're gonna do somebody else, who it is and why. And I only ever got yeah. the name and who's running this shit show, but never I, never any reasons. We just had a lot of fans that look like. Uh, Terrell Owens with his sunglasses on going, it's my, it's my quarterback. <laughs> um, so, no, yeah, it's, it's my goalie. Um, Cam Talbot, though, for what it's worth, I had Cam Talbot down as number 10 and then scratched him for Mrazic. So, obviously, he is right there for me. You couldn't vindicate um, the Oilers fans, though. You just couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted, so, I have to let them know that I thought about it and then didn't do it. After the stink they um, made, it was like, you guys are not getting this vindication. <laughs> no, um, as a, as a Ra- lifelong Rangers fan myself, I have a lot of love for Cam Talbot. Uh, when when Lundqvist was injured, he did a spectacular job of filling in, um, and and so I 
have my own personal bias in favor of Cam Talbot. I have a lot of statistical bias in favor of Cam Talbot. Um, <clears throat> but he's just not quite there. Just not quite. Like, like I said, he was there at 10 for me, just nixed him, so we'll call him 11. <laughs> um, he, he's been great. Uh, the stats bear that out as well. He is well above average um, in, in terms of his adjusted goals over average over, over the last three years. He is <clears throat> his uh, above average appearance percentage. Again, above um, looks like the next four guys on either side of him in, in adjusted goals here above average. So he is more consistent than a lot of the guys that, that are his direct statistical peers. And I, I can't take anything away from him. He's been great. He's had uh, long spells of being very, very good. But then, you know, he had a rough start to the season last year. Um, it has been um, a decent start for him this year. Um, and, and so I love the guy. I think he's a great goaltender, just not quite top 10 for me. Now, another one that I think, I mean, you and I both have positive things to say about Cam Talbot. I mean, you cheer for the Rangers, I cheer for the others. Like, we both have our reasons. But one that I think you probably will be critical of, because I've heard you be critical of him, and I got at least a handful, surprisingly, amount of people uh, saying that he needed to be on the poll, is Nashville's finest Pecorine. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's so much to dig into with Rene. Um, it's, it's hard to even figure out where to begin. <laughs> he actually, for what it's worth, has gotten off to a pretty good start this he's been year. Really good this which year. is the yeah, which is the first time he's played well in years now. Um, he had his injury problems as well. He, and I, I think it goes a long way towards explaining that. Uh, he was so good before he had his his health issues um, and and just dropped off a ledge after that. Yep. The last three years for him have been just pretty much a nightmare almost consistently he is just looking i mean in you don't 20, even have to look at the stats in you can look at the stats and, and, and go yeah this isn't very good but you can just watch him and some of the things he does you just question your entire existence watching the decisions he makes and coming out to play the puck sometimes just it's it's been off for him. So it, it, on the flip side, it's really good to see him bouncing back this year. Hopefully it stays that way for him and for Nashville because they've got a great team there. They had one last year, and I think it was, un, uh, was partly undone by by poor goaltending. Um, so I, I'm hoping the best. I hope he turns it around. But he is 33 years old, and I, I don't know how much better it's going to get. Um, so, yeah, it's he's a big Big goaltender. Very, it's another argument like Bishop where the years are going to take their toll on him. Um, the decision-making is sometimes highly questionable. Um, and so it makes you question why Nashville's run with him for so long. Salary may be a huge reason. Alternatives may be a huge reason. They've had Carter Hutton um, as their backup, um, and he's not been very good either. So and now he's I he's in St. Louis now, but just just you know historically speaking, the last few years they haven't had a lot going for them in net, which may be the reason they've stuck with the guy with a good you know who was historically good before he was historically 
quite bad. Plus, yeah, he's a uh, he's he's got a massive contract. He's got a, a seven million cap hit for two years, which I mean, obviously they signed him to that deal after he had back to back years where he was posting huge, ridiculous numbers. And then, like you said, for the past, I guess I, it's five seasons now with one pretty good one in the middle, but uh, it's five seasons there of him not being very good. Uh, another one that came up um, quite a bit, uh, you, you touched on uh, Martin Jones already and Matt Murray, but another name that came up that people thought that I should be including, and I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this was just, you know, similar to the Talbot thing, just kind of a Homer thing, but uh, Freddie Anderson in Toronto. Yeah, um, I've I put my neck out there quite a bit for you did, Freddie yeah, Anderson you heading into the, the season. Beginning of the year. Um, I, I, I wrote an entire article, which is really sort of not my style to write an article about like current events going on. So, but after Toronto signed Enroth, um, people were questioning the moves for for Anderson and Enroth, especially when they had um, Reimer last year um, and Bernier, who was quite bad last year, but has had some pretty, you know, decent times as well in Toronto. And so I think there was a lot of sort of, you know, mumbling throat collectively muttering under their breaths that they weren't real happy about how much they gave up to get Anderson. Um, I think he's very good. I, I do think he's very good. He got off to a absolutely awful start this year, um, but he's been bouncing back and slowly sort of climbing up the, the rankings of, of, of goaltenders, whatever whatever stats you know you may choose to look at. Again, I'm looking at um, expected goal save above average. He was bottom. I mean, just just flat out bottom to start the season. Now he's working his way up to the point of where he's now giving up slightly less, slightly fewer goals than average over the course of the the entire season. Which means that he's playing well above average since that terrible start. Um, and and so. He's picking it up this year. Uh, his play over the last several years in, in Anaheim's been really good. Um, he's not a—he's not really an above-average, high-danger guy. He's not—it's it's, that athleticism isn't really his game. Um, he eats everything up from that medium-danger sort of area. Those, those those types of shots that are coming in from areas of the ice that are still fairly close in. You're still going to get good looks. But I think it's his his game to be well positioned uh, and to be able to make the saves that he should be making. Um, and so I think still at 27 years old, um, he's still got a couple years in the prime of his career. As long as Toronto fans and management and coaching can have a little bit of patience as he continues to settle into a new team in front of him, I think he'll be fine. I've got no real concerns over how he's going to, to play there for the next few years. And I think, honestly, comparatively speaking, Anderson and Enroth are just a niche above uh, – a niche – a notch <laughs> above uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Reimer and uh, Bernier. <laughs> um, yeah, I just kind of I'm, – I'm so into it. I'm, I'm making up words here. <laughs> no clue what you thought a niche was. But uh, anyways, <laughs> speaking – I don't know, not related at all. But you wanted to throw some love out to three guys who got absolutely zero love on Twitter. Um, they I, – I went back to the mentions and I, I, I tried to read through all of them. And man, there was a lot and it was a lot to sift through and a lot of it was dumb. 
So, uh, but no mentions of Yaroslav Halak, no mention of Brian Elliott, and no mention of Thomas Grice. Yeah. So here's three guys that are all hovering around 30 years old or so who have played incredibly well in split time over the last few years. Um, and, and so there is, as we mentioned earlier, with a guy like Murray, you know, not having a lot of. Uh, sample to go off of and a lot of room for regression that way. Um, still Thomas Grice over the last three years saw 1800 shots. Um, Halak saw 3000 shots. Elliot saw 22. Um, so we have a pretty decent sample and these guys played really, really well. Grice had the third highest adjusted goal save of average over the last three years with a minimum of 1800 shots on goal. Um, no one talks about him. He has the, looks like the, I think it's the fifth highest, uh, above average appearance percentage, um, over that time as well. And for qualifying goaltenders here. So he's played incredibly well, incredibly consistently, and no one really takes notice. Um, Halak the same, um, 55% of his games are above average. He is, uh, I think eighth in adjusted goal save above average over that time. No one, no one takes notice, and those guys are both playing on the same team. Um, and maybe Islanders fans notice these things. I don't know. Um, there's still a lot of clamoring for Barube to be playing, um, but those two guys have been very, very good. And Elliot, the same. Um, you have a guy who's been splitting time with Jake Allen, um, and not to take anything away from Jake Allen because he's a good, pretty young goaltender still. Um, but Elliot's been. Uh, head and shoulders above Jake Allen in terms of his performance um, and really deserved to get that number one spot uh, with whatever team was willing to, to give up the necessary assets to, to get him. Um, and now he's in Calgary. The t- start has been tough. The play in front of him has been tougher. <laughs> <laughs> Calgary has not been very good so far. Um, although I watched them with my own eyes, I, I hashtag watched the game um, Congrats, here in Chicago against the Blackhawks. And I felt the flames thoroughly dominated the Hawks in that game, but Crawford stood on his head to uh, keep Chicago in that game. Um, and we'll see him on this list very soon as well. Um, but Elliot's a good goaltender. Elliot for me, when I watch him is sort of that ideal, um, no, f- must no fuss type of goaltender he's not overplaying he's he's very economical in his movements and i love it i love to watch that type of play i love to watch a guy who's going to make you beat him if if you're going to score a goal rather than just give you up you know be like jonathan quick and and overplay and and give up an empty net here and there um so i'm high on elliot um he is you know those three guys that that i just mentioned are all getting a, a bit up there in age now but uh, they've been fantastic over the last few years and, and not a lot of love going their way. What I'm starting to notice here now that we've talked for about, you know, half hour, 45 minutes about goalies is there's a lot of good goalies in the league right now. And it's, uh, I mean, we've talked about, uh, Jesus, what, like 14, 15 different guys already. And I mean, you have something good to say about all of them. And it, it kind of, 
bewilders me that a team like Dallas or a team like Winnipeg can somehow, with all the skill that's out there and all the different teams who have what appear to be two good goalies, how those teams with like good teams in front of them can manage to throw out like pretty bad goalies, and it, and it's it, it's resulted in like a noticeable decline in the standings for them. Yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of teams that have two very good goaltenders, and there's several teams that have no good goaltenders. So you, you start to wonder what's really you know going on there. Is it um, having a little too much faith in, in the guys that you have? Is it you know a, an unwillingness to part with any assets to upgrade? Um, if you, if you don't have the faith in your goaltenders, um, I don't know. You know, I'm not in the room for a, a team like uh, Dallas or what Nashville has been over the last uh, few years. But um, but there are, I mean, a lot of very good goaltenders. And, and the thing is, I'm eventually going to get to this. I've been saying I'm going to do it for the longest time, write a sort of newer article about replacement level. There is not a, a very appreciable difference between what replacement level goaltending and average backup can can should be and not even there's not an appreciable difference between uh replacement level and league average it's it's not that huge of a gap so if you have two goaltenders that are playing below average you should in theory be able to find a goaltender for less than a million dollars that can give you Equal or better goaltending than what a team like Dallas has been getting. Um, for, so, a pretty, for a pretty big combined cap hit, too. Off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure Kari Letton and Antti Niemi have roughly $10 million combined between the two of them, which is an obscene amount of money for yep. the, what they're getting there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the performance uh, has not been good value for them. And, and so, again, they could find, uh, theoretically, find a guy who is only a fraction of the cost of what those two guys are and give you equal or better uh, value or performance on the whole, much better value, equal performance. Um, so, and, and those guys are out there. They're all out there. Some of them are guys, you know, some of them are guys that are lesser known. You know, if, if, I, if the Islanders decide to part with Halak, I think someone's going to get a very good goaltender for the next, you know, couple of years. Um, and, and so there shouldn't be an, a rush to overpay uh, to get uh, a slightly above average goaltender. I know there's at times been sort of a debate as well online about uh, whether or not it's okay to to pay big money for goaltenders. I think it is okay. <laughs> it is more than okay to pay um, very, very good, the elite goaltenders, whatever it takes to keep them under contract. After that, there's not a lot to split. Uh, I know I mentioned earlier, There's for me, there's tiers of, of the quality of goaltending, whether it be first tier, second tier, third tier. And once you get to like that third, fourth tier of, of the quality of goaltenders, there's not a lot to split them. And I don't know that you should be handing out a $5 million contract to someone who is, you know, closest uh, competition is, you know, basically just above replacement level. So... So I'm kind of yeah. I'm kind of confused then as to why a team like after how bad he's been for so many years, why are the Carolina Hurricanes so down to sign Cam Ward for two more years? I don't I don't quite understand what's going on in that situation. I don't, I don't think anybody really does, to be honest. 
people people seem to be very confused by that Every, everyone was confused by that, right? It's just the community as a whole, uh, Hurricanes fans in particular. Um, Cam has been... There's something to be said for Cam Ward in that he's hung around for this long, right? He's not been great, um, but he's hung around. He's been, a lot of the time, Carolina's best option regardless. And I don't know if that's you know speaks to the the goaltending coaching there, uh, evaluation of talent that's been there in the past. I, I think they're doing a very, very good job now in Carolina. Um, but I think what has gone on really with Cam Ward is that they just believe he's better than what the stats are, are telling you. Um, and and that's, hey, fair play to them. If, the, if they believe they've got someone there that can hold them in games, um, then fine. And I think the other part of that is that they don't want to give up assets um, they're in a position where they've built up quite uh, a base of youth um, and, and might legitimately be contenders sooner rather than later. And I don't think they want to give up too much to get a goaltender who's good right now when they've got a stable of, of really good prospects in the pool um, right now. Um, you know, you've got a, a, a standout uh, goaltending prospect in uh, Nadelia Kovic, um, and, and there's no real reason to try to give up a first-round pick to get a guy like Ben Bishop, um, you know, to try to be good right now when they're probably going to be good for a very, very long time soon. So, Plus maybe the Hurricanes, you know, like you said, lots of youth, lots of prospects. Maybe they're kind of okay with the idea of being pretty terrible, which is something that Cam Ward does help them do. But regardless, we've talked a lot about damn near every single goalie in the league now so i guess at this point we're gonna slide into our top five which uh you pretty much described as the top two tiers of goalies and you and you and twitter are pretty close uh on this list with a just like a little bit of shuffling um so at number five this was the one i guess that uh where you disagreed with uh, Twitter almost completely because this is a name that I almost didn't see mentioned at all by anybody, and that's uh, Steve Mason. You have at number five, whereas Twitter picked Corey Crawford. Uh, what do you like about Mason, and what and what are you seeing that others aren't? Mason has been all over the map in his career. Um, he started out so strong when he was uh, new to the league, a young goaltender, and then he went through some real rough times. Um, and he's bounced back from that. And so for the past two seasons, he's been not just above league average. He's been a top tier goaltender in this league for the last couple of seasons. Now it's been a rough start, uh, again this year, but sample size, I expect him to really pick back up. He's a guy that statistically speaking is very, very similar to, to Freddie Anderson. Um, he, but, but better <laughs> basically, um, the high danger save percentage um, is league average. It, it's not fantastic, um, but he eats up everything outside of that. He is well above average in medium danger and low danger save percentage. He is well above average in um, above average appearance for percentage, um, and he he's he's been so solid for for a couple of years. That, and he but he's still a polarizing figure. People don't forget very quickly, right? Um, especially those who he's played for and not played well. So it's, it's tough to sometimes 
dispose of preconceived notions about any player, much less a goaltender who the spotlight is on so much uh, that if a guy hasn't played well for some period of time, that it's easy to continue thinking that he's just not very good. But he has been easily probably top three in the league over the last couple of years. It's kind of funny, actually, how uh, Steve Mason and Sergei Bobrovsky are both guys who have been they they they, uh, they if I recall correctly they weren't traded for each other but Mason started with the Blue Jackets won the Calder sucked for three years uh, Bobrovsky was with the Flyers and they swapped teams and they both kind of just been like up and down all around nobody can put a finger on them yeah yeah. Yeah, and, and, and like I said, I think that Mason, especially now um, with uh, Neuvert being injured, unfortunately, um, you know, you're not going to see Mason get jerked around quite as much, and I think that'll be good for him. I think just getting consistent starts, uh, not having head games played with him about whether or not he's the number one guy or number two guy or if 1A and 1B, whatever it may be, uh, he'll be able to get into a bit more of a rhythm now and hopefully get back to what he's been doing the last couple of years. He's still right in that, that sort of sweet spot of age, 28 years old. Um, he's got a few good years left in him as long as he's not being screwed with too much. He's a good goaltender. Let him play. So like you said, you have Mason number five. Twitter had Corey Crawford at number five. But you have Corey Crawford at number four, whereas Twitter had Braden Holpe, who you had at number six. So you think... Uh, Crawford is better than Twitter seems to think he is, whereas you don't think Holpe's as good as Twitter thinks he is. Yes. <laughs> uh, again, Crawford, and I mentioned this earlier, has been outstanding so far this year. Uh, just uh, uh, unreal level performance. Uh, even more, I mean, as, as great as Carey Price has been uh, so far this season at, at, at even strength, Crawford's been better. And you can see it in the, in the stats. You can see it when you watch the games. Crawford is locked in right now. He is, his movement is precise. It's concise. He is, is in position all the time. And that was a big knock on him in, in years past. And he's really gotten that together. Um, I, I used to think he was, honestly, I, I thought he was terrible. Two three years ago, everyone did. We all just thought we all thought he was just along for the ride in Chicago because it was always it was always his name that came up when we needed the Blackhawks to you know throw away a a cap hit. It was always Crawford because it was always you know Scott Darling can come in and be the starting goalie on this team. But now you look at it and Crawford's like damn near their second most valuable player on that team. Right, he really. I mean, he got a new contract uh, that seemed like it was more of a gift for what, you know, being part of a team uh, that was winning rather than what he did himself. And what ended up happening is that he played up to that contract and probably beyond it. $6 million is a lot of money for a goaltender, but he's been every, he's been worth every bit of it uh, the last couple of years. And again, this season, off to an, a tremendous start, um, he, like I said, he, his, his positioning is good. He's tracking the puck incredibly well. His, his lateral movement is very good when it used to be just he overplayed everything. Um, and so he's tightened up his game 
and he's improved immensely the last couple of years and and he's easily 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 a top five goaltender right now and a, a top probably three goaltender so far this season uh and and yeah <laughs> he is is top at five five v five right now and then uh moving on to number three i guess we can just talk about number three and number two kind of at the same time uh they were pretty close in the polls um twitter had uh cory schneider edging out henrik lundqvist for number two and then uh you had um henrik lundqvist at number two and cory schneider at number three uh why is it that you think that lundqvist is better is this like a you you being a new york rangers fan thing or is this uh no i think i would still have a a giant crush on Henrik, Henrik Lundqvist, even if I wasn't a Rangers fan. He's, he's so in Twitter polls, it was pretty close between Lundqvist and Schneider. To me, it, it's, it's not a, a conversation at all. Schneider is a very, very good goaltender. For me, he's, he's, he's easily in that three spot. Um, I think Crawford obviously is having a better start. I think that Crawford and Schneider are closer together than what Schneider and Lundqvist are. Um, but, it's it's the longevity of Lundqvist. It's what he's done every single year that he's been in the league. He came in as a kid, right off the bat, just a top goaltender, immediately in the league at a young age. Um, the kind of thing that you're seeing with a guy like Matt Murray right now. But he's continued it on for 10 years. <laughs> every single year, he is an above-average goaltender. But not just an above-average goaltender. He is a top five every single year. And it's unfortunate that he only has one Vezina at this point because, and it's not a lifetime. Vezina is not a lifetime achievement award, right? But he didn't get a single Vezina vote last year, and he was the best goalie in the league. Um, really, no matter how you cut it, when you look at some of the the, the more uh, advanced metrics, um, so that part's disappointing. Um, but every single year, he's an above-average goaltender. His lowest adjusted goal save above average per 60 uh, of his career is higher than Jonathan Quick's best season. <laughs> so if that, if that goes to any way towards explaining, and again, not to take anything away from Carey Price and how great he's been for a long time now as well, but Carey Price, about half of his seasons, or just above just, just sorry. Just below half of the seasons are actually negative in goal save above average for the season. So even the best can have bad years. Lundqvist never has a bad year. It just doesn't happen. So to me, it's 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 a clear uh, divide between uh, Lundqvist and Schneider in that two and three spot. Um, again, not to take anything away from Corey Schneider because he has been everything I think New Jersey hoped for when they made that trade for him and and then some uh, he's a fantastic goaltender but I just think that there's a, a clear gap between 3-4 and 1-2 in the rankings yeah it's actually it's pretty incredible to think of Henrik Lundqvist breaking into the league in 2005-6 and just putting up sick numbers and ever since then I mean putting it in the terms for like you know peasants like myself who don't understand goalie stats quite so well He's never had a season with a save percentage below nine twelve, and 
every year he's just sick. And I honestly, I didn't realize that he didn't get Vesna award consideration last year until you mentioned it. But like, that's kind of insulting because he led the league last year in shots against and saves. Cause we all know, I mean, the Rangers have been pretty awesome this year, largely because they're, you know, they're shooting in their four scoring lines, but everyone knows the Rangers D is bad and he faces a lot of shots. And the fact that he wasn't even considered for that award last year is it, that's kind of a joke. Yep, not a single vote. Not for first place, not second, not third, nothing. Not not one vote. So it's insulting to my better senses to see to see that happen. It's the GMs that vote on that. Um, I I don't I I don't know what they were looking for. I, I get why they obviously why they voted for uh, Braden Holby with with the win total. Uh, I don't agree with it, but I understand why people would be inclined to vote that way. But I don't understand how you don't at least get Hank into that two three range. You get three votes. <laughs> you get you get second and third place votes too. And he didn't get one of those either. Thirty teams and not one vote. Eh, so Yeah, I'm looking at this right now. So what we've got here is Braden Holpe won, obviously. Ben Bishop got votes, including two first place votes. Jonathan Quick got a first place vote. Luongo got uh, is fourth place there, then Crawford, then Schneider, then John Gibson, Martin Jones, and Brian Elliott. So apparently, yeah, apparently John Gibson, Brian Elliott. What, what the fuck? That's bad. Yeah, I try not to think about it too much. It only makes me angry. <laughs> it's it's Lundqvist is going to be one of those guys that when this is all said and done, and and he calls it a career. We're going to look back at it as being one of the greatest to ever play the game. Um, I don't think that there's there's two ways around that. I don't think there's a, there's going to be any discussion about it. Um, and so it's a little bit upsetting that during his career, we're sort of taking that for granted. Um, and again, you know, last year he was easily the best goaltender in the league, and not a, not one vote. And so I try to put it out of my mind, not think about it, especially as a Rangers fan and seeing, watching all the games, seeing what they put him through. Uh, he's, he's, he's one of a kind. Um, and we're going to move on to number one in which we, you know, I agree with Twitter that I think right now in this moment, Carey Price is the best goaltender in the league, but I don't think Price even touches the career that Lundqvist has had. Do you think there's any way that when it's all said and done, I guess Carey Price has been, I, I look at his numbers and I mean, he's been good for quite some time, but I think it's just the past two, three years where he's been out of this world elite. I think that started in like 2013, 14. Uh, I, I don't know if there's then since he's 29 now possible for him to have the time frame of being good for 11 years like Lundqvist. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I think mathematically, no, the, the, you know, age will catch up eventually. Um, he's, he's, like you said, he's out of this world right now. He's on a different level. Um, I would love in my fandom to say Longquist is still number one, but the way that Carey Price is playing right now is just, it's, it's a different level. Um, and he's a clear, I think, number one at this point in time. Uh, but if we're going to talk about, you know, a career uh, achievement, He's he's going to be looked at as being one of the best as well, but he's he's not. It's not going to be Henrik Lundqvist level. Um, and again, just like I said with Schneider, it's nothing to take away from him. 
at all. He is fantastic, unreal, out of this world. Whatever great superlative adjectives you want to use for him, go for it. it it's all deserved. Uh, but if we're going to talk about the, the, the span of, of a career, uh, I, I, I don't know that we're going to have another guy like Lundqvist anytime soon. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with you. And that's, it's kind of funny how Price uh, finished number one on this list and it's turned into kind of a, a Henrik Lundqvist fawning session, which, I mean, you're not wrong for doing so. He's, <laughs> he's damn good. But I'll do a quick uh, run-through of the entire list. Uh, I'll start with Twitter. Twitter number 10, it got tough. I mean, at this point, it, it was close. Like only, you know, 34% of people voted for him. But Devin Dubnik, 10 uh, Sergei Bobrovsky, 9. Roberto Luongo, 8. Tuka Rask, 7. Ben Bishop, 6. Corey Crawford, 5. Braden Holby, 4. Henrik Lundqvist, 3. Corey Schneider, 2. And Carey Price, 1, I guess. Judging by with the conversation you and I have had, the the biggest differences you had is you just didn't think uh, Dubnik and Luongo belonged. You thought Holby should be a little bit lower. And you thought that Lundqvist was better than Schneider, I guess, to summarize. Yeah. Pretty much. But I guess uh, Twitter did a pretty good job with this list, I think. It could be a lot worse. <laughs> it could be a lot, lot worse. It, all, all things considered, a, a, a couple small disagreements on where guys are placed. Uh, but even the guys that were in Twitter's list that I don't have in mine, I would have them fairly close to being in mine as well. So, um, there again, there are. there's a top tier. There's some very close to top tier guys. And then there is a whole smattering of goaltenders that there's not much to separate them and a lot of room for interpretation and uh, Homerism in the case of Cam Talbot. <laughs> so yeah, to, uh, I guess to uh, fade out of the show, is there anything you want to talk about mansion or plug just to uh, summarize everything we've talked about? Uh, man, nothing particular. I've got, a lot going on all the time that I'm trying to work on. Some things are more public than others, but uh, yeah, feel free to, to contact me, DM me with, with uh, ideas on, on Twitter. Um, I'm open towards, always open towards new ideas and, and going down different paths to try to um, look at things a little bit differently. See if we can find better ways of, of, of looking at goaltenders or not goaltenders. I love things that aren't goaltenders too. Um, and yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at I am Fleming 16. Um, occasionally write for NHL numbers, hopefully pick up on that a little bit soon. And, uh, yeah, it's been, been great talking. Awesome. Thanks to, uh, Ian for joining us and thanks to everyone for listening to watch the game. We'll, I guess we won't see you, but you will hear from us very soon. Thanks again. <laughs>